0: The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt them back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 93 of Some Assembly Required, your podcasting adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This episode, we are taking a look at Avengers number 88, The Summons of the Cyclops. This week's issue has story by Harlan Ellison with adaptation by Roy Thomas, pencils by Sal Buscema, inks by Jim Mooney, letters by Shelley Lefferman, and it comes to us in May of 1971. That's right, folks, you heard me correctly. This issue was written by the famous science fiction author Harlan Ellison. It's one of several Marvel comics Ellison did within a couple of years here in the early 70s. This being one of the first ones he did. It's also worth mentioning that the name of this issue, The Summon of the Cyclops, Cyclops is spelled P-S-Y-K-L-O-P-S, not to be confused with the X-Men character with the more traditional spelling of Cyclops. Starting off, our cover is pretty good. Cyclops is an interesting, bug-looking kind of villain. The text here isn't particularly overwhelming, and it gives a good job of pointing out who this special guest writer is without being excessive. Something that would entice readers of that era. I think the colors are solid. And I particularly like the shadow work that is done on Cyclops' compound eye. I think that is a really cool effect and something that actually will carry through throughout the issue. It's a, a part that's very well done. Diving into our issue, that poor, unfortunate, and misunderstood former Avenger known as the Hulk finds himself at the unrelenting mercy of two pulsating electrodes within Boulder Dam, And at the direction of General Thunderbolt Ross, Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four and Professor Xavier attempt to use the device in question to subdue the Hulk. After months of preparation and in concert with Tony Stark, the scientists are nearing the end of their work, the goal of which is to rescue Bruce Banner from the curse under which he is forced to live. Although the Hulk is mighty, eventually he does succumb to the power flowing into him. As Hulk's consciousness slips away, Ross orders the power cut so that they may move on to the next step of their plan. So here we have a just fantastic opening splash page. I love the look of the Hulk. I love all the Kirby crackle coming off of him. Generally speaking, the color is pretty good, although I wouldn't have minded the Hulk to be a touch more green. His face is obviously pretty green, but the rest of him is mostly black with yellow highlights. And it looks cool, but I think a little bit more green mixed in there would have looked even cooler. Honestly, even the title of the book really fits in. It's not quite what we've seen with John Busema before, Sal Busema's brother, where he tends to blend it actually into the image, but it perfectly matches the angle between the two glowing electrodes. So there is just a geometric sense to this page that really works and I really like it. Here we also get an early taste of the Marvel Illuminati. Now this is an organization that won't actually be recognized until many many years down the road but I find it interesting that we see them trying to deal with the Hulk because the first actual introduction of the Illuminati happens just before Marvel Civil War so 2007 ish. And one of the things that they do is attempt to deal with the Hulk, find a solution for the Hulk. It's also really interesting that we see these individuals working together because with the introduction of the Illuminati, it's retconned that the group formed just after the events of the kree Scroll War, which, as you guys will find out in the next episode, the next several episodes, starts next issue in number 89. So we're seeing these characters already in play. and I love the fact that we get this retcon, but it's using things that existed within the comics at the time. I have to say I here I do kind of feel dirty though watching Reed Richards and Professor X working with General Ross. Of those 3 individuals, Reed Richards is by far the best one. Ross is borderline psychotic, and Professor X is creepy and kind of a dick in this era, more than most eras, but Professor X is actually kind of a dick in all eras. But Reed really isn't showing any kind of moral leadership here. He's really just kind of going along with things, and it's it's a little uncomfortable knowing that Reed is just kind of going with this. Their actions also bring up the issue that is people constantly trying to help Bruce Banner, and at best ignoring the Hulk, and at worst, seeking his destruction. They are very obviously prioritizing and valuing one over the other, and nobody ever seems to really justify their actions. Yes, the Hulk is a big, green monster, so he looks different, and he's not the super-intelligent scientist that Banner is, but the Hulk has worth, and that worth is just kind of thrown out the window for the sake of trying to, quote-unquote, rescue Banner. It's no wonder that the Hulk... Feels such jealousy and such animosity towards Banner. Right? His life is always less important than Banner's. Elsewhere, in a remote jungle, the Avengers find themselves slogging in search of answers. Only a few short hours ago, Captain America agreed to join his partner, Falcon, on a mission to locate a friend whom had gone missing near New Orleans. Upon arrival in the Big Easy, the pair discover that Ralph, Falcon's friend, had wandered off into the bayou in some form of trance. So here we see our first appearance of Falcon in the Avengers comics. Welcome to Avengers Falcon. He's not actually a member at this point. He's still Captain America's partner and they still share a book. But this is the first time we get to see Falcon in an Avengers book. I also really like the element of mystery that these couple of pages bring to the story. Walking through a swamp at night is really creepy. And then there's this missing person element. There's a lot of great little mystery elements that are kind of fun to pull with. And then of course we kind of ruin it by immediately jumping into a flashback. So as they traced their query, the heroes quickly stumble upon a voodoo ritual being performed. Cap and Falcon are almost immediately discovered and attacked by the cultists who have been driven to a frenzy by the words of the voodoo priest. In addition to this, unbeknownst to the heroes, the local police department is waiting just on the edge of the bayou, ready to confront the cultists. As the situation deteriorates and the police move in, Falcon is saved from a potentially mortal blow from the priest by his trusty bird, Redwing. Falcon is then able to unmask the priest, and to his horror he discovers that it is Ralph, the friend he has been looking for. Ralph is still in some form of trance, only muttering a set of longitude and latitude coordinates. With this information, the pair return to Avengers Mansion in order to investigate things further. So really, voodoo? Like, don't get me wrong, you you can do all kinds of really creepy things with voodoo, but the reality here is that most works of fiction really do whatever the heck they want to do and call it voodoo. Like, voodoo is an actual semi-organized religion, and especially things like comics and pulp horror books really just kind of do whatever they feel like doing and call it voodoo. And it gets old and it feels lame and it feels made up and it just kind of loses effect. Also, there are always some unpleasant racial undertones given the West African roots of voodoo. I do feel like in this particular issue that is tamped down a bit by the inclusion of what looks like a fairly mixed group of practitioners, but at the same time, if someone brings up the idea of voodoo, one typically associates West African, African African-American individuals with that practice. One thing here I don't get is that at one point we see Ralph leading this voodoo ritual, talking more or less completely normal, and then he gets Punched in the face by Falcon, he, admittedly pretty hard, hard enough to shatter his mask, but only punched in the face, and suddenly he just starts mumbling a set of coordinates. It's a very weird thing to happen. Like, if this were happening the whole time, or it was there was some kind of chant he was doing, but I mean, he's giving, like, instructions at one point. So, that whole trance thing gets a little weird there. Back at their headquarters, the assembled Avengers agree to join Cap and Falcon in their search, though not all of the team will be joining. Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, and Vision have all promised Reed Richards that they would stay behind on monitor duty. Even more shocking is the announcement by Black Panther that he will be leaving the team and returning to his kingdom of Wakanda, and thus will not be joining the expedition. With this, Captain America and Falcon are joined by Thor, Iron Man, and Goliath on their quest for answers. So I appreciate that initially the Avengers are kind of skeptical here, but that in the end, they're willing to go out on a limb and look into this for Captain America. And in reality, Falcon. Obviously Cap is kind of vouching for Falcon, but the Avengers aren't really sure what to make of it, but they say, you know, to heck with it, we're going to go and we're going to look into this. I'm also really glad we got an update about Black Panther's decision. Given where the last issue left off and the choices he was weighing, I think at least a quick follow-up was warranted. Now, we didn't waste excessive time or page space on this, but it was a loose end and we have tied it up rather neatly, at least for the time being, which I find at least a little bit comforting and reassuring. As the team wades through the jungles of an unnamed Pacific Island, they are shocked by what they encounter. At first, it appears to be a living, breathing dragon, but on closer inspection, it is a stone carving of unknown design. What is most shocking, however, is that the face of the creature matches exactly the mask worn by Ralph, the Voodoo Priest. An unlikely coincidence to be sure. Now, this is really quite the dragon for these characters to stumble upon in the jungle. However, I feel like it could have been used to greater effect if we had seen this just before cutting to the flashback. It is such a great image, and it would have stuck with the reader and made them start guessing how those two might possibly have been connected, and I think it would have enhanced the mystery aspect of the story. The way it plays out here, you see the mask, and then there are several pages of other things going on before you see the the dragon, whereas had things been rearranged a little bit, you may have only had a page at most in between the dragon and the mask, which I think would have made a much tighter connection in the mind of the readers. Back in Boulder Dam, Reed Richards directs a soldier on how best to use a special crane to lift the motionless body of the Hulk for transport into a specially designed coma crypt. Just as the team is ready to begin their task, the Hulk starts to become transparent and eventually blinks out of existence entirely, or at least that is what the team at the Boulder Dam is led to believe. In reality, Hulk has been transported by a humanoid figure that identifies itself only as Cyclops, a member of an ancient race that occupied the Earth before mankind. Cyclops has been awakened by the Dark Gods whom his people worshipped and who also placed his race into an eternal slumber. Just as he is about to explain their nefarious purpose, Cyclops senses the approach of the Avengers. Not wishing to be disturbed, he dispatches a creature to deal with the intruders. The beast is powerful to say the least, but eventually the Avengers are able to gain the upper hand and a powerful final strike from Mjolnir lays the creature low. So initially, I thought Cyclops was an alien. Looking at him, just instinctively, one goes, alien. Also, the fact that Harlan Ellison is a well-known science fiction writer. You kind of forget that in the 60s and 70s, in this pre-Star Wars era, that science fiction doesn't necessarily mean anything alien, right? A lot of science fiction, these elder races, that kind of stuff. Even some of what we would now kind of consider fantasy, like H.P. Lovecraft, kind of straddles that line that, at this point in time, probably would have been considered science fiction. It also makes sense when you look at Cyclops' design, given how he looks like a blend of several Earth creatures. Now, what I really want to know here, though, is I want to know more about these dark gods. Obviously, it is a thread that will tie portions of the story together, but when you throw out the phrase dark god, Odds? almost immediately have my attention and I want to know more. Unfortunately, we don't get to know a whole lot more, but I feel like we make up for this because we get a page or so diversion into what amounts to a kaiju fight. It's kind of like Goliath versus Mothra if Mothra didn't have wings. It kind of looks even a little bit like an evil-looking version of Insectosaurus from Monsters vs. Aliens for those of you who have seen that film. Uh, For those of you who haven't, do yourself a favor and, and go ahead and watch that movie. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but that's kind of what he looks like. But you know, in the end, there's never really any question the Avengers are going to beat this this creature. And really it's a just a solid throw. Of Mjolnir by Thor that takes this creature out. And I kind of wonder why this wasn't Thor's opening move. When I'm playing games and things like that, you know, as often as possible, I really try and swing for the fences and, and crush my opponent early and, and quickly. I feel like like Thor should do that too. After defeating the creature, the Avengers enter the subterranean lair and find passageways lined with bizarre gargoyles which remind Iron Man of something straight out of a comic book. With the time growing short, Cyclops explains that he intends to use the Hulk as a food source to power the dark gods to which he answers in order that his people may be awakened once again. So that he may make the best use of Hulk's awesome power, Cyclops decides to shrink him down so that he may be more easily analyzed. Just as the shrinking process begins, the Avengers arrive on scene and immediately confront Cyclops. His attention distracted, Cyclops accidentally allows Hulk to be shrunken down past the intended point and apparently into nothingness. With his experiment a failure and knowing he is outnumbered, Cyclops turns a device on the Avengers, who are instantly transported back to New York, landing on a subway platform. Not only that, but the device has wiped their memories clean of the whole incident, leading the team to wonder exactly why they were trying to catch a train in the first place. So there's a lot to digest here at the end. The Gargoyles, I I get where Iron Man is coming from. They remind me a lot of... Some of the stuff from the original Captain Marvel and the Wizard Shazam, the original Fawcett Captain Marvel, not the Marvel Comics version. And I love it's a little bit fourth wall, a little bit meta that Iron Man mentions the whole comic book thing. I I really I really dig that. That's kind of fun. Now, possibly my favorite thing out of this entire issue is we get a two thirds sized page panel that is looking at the Avengers from the perspective of Cyclops's compound eye. And it is so cool and so incredibly creative. And I love panel layouts that really play with things like that. That is just such an awesome, awesome look. At the end here, the disappearance of Hulk really ends up being a setup for the next issue of Hulk, which, as you might have guessed, is also written by Harlan Ellison. So overall, I do have to say that, in all honesty, I am not the biggest fan of Harlan Ellison's work. I have a great respect for his work and the influence it has had on the development of science fiction, but personally, I have always struggled to enjoy his work. To me, it consistently feels like his endings are rushed and he doesn't ever provide the proper amount of resolution. Now I completely understand the desire to leave endings ambiguous and keep the mystery alive, which is a hallmark of science fiction of this era, think Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, things like that. But you still need to end the story. After setting up the next issue of Hulk, the story basically resets itself and I'm left feeling as though everything I've read has absolutely no bearing on the Avengers whatsoever. There are a few tiny strings that will lead into the Kree-Skrull War in the next series of issues. However, I'm highly inclined to believe that those are not a part of Ellison's original story, but additions as part of Roy Thomas's adaptation. Now, in a different era of comics... I might consider all of this a writer playing the long game, along the lines of someone like Chris Claremont or Jonathan Hickman. But given the fact that Ellison is a guest writer, I just... Can't see a thing like that happening, and obviously it never did. There is a lot of potential in this issue, but unfortunately the payoff never materializes, and a lot of the things that I think have potential that are set up in this issue are just never touched on again. I think Cyclops and these Dark Gods could be an amazing well of potential plot, and honestly I think very long game kind of plot. You know, you could bring back Cyclops and these dark gods and have them running things in the background for, quite honestly, years if you have a, a writer who can do that kind of thing. But unfortunately, just nothing comes of it, and it's really very disappointing. And I have to put a lot of that on Harlan Ellison, unfortunately. So before I go, I do want to talk about one other Avengers-related item, and that is that I have been playing a couple of Avengers-related board games. I'll touch briefly on one of them and talk a little bit more about the other, Uh, but the first one I want to touch on briefly is Marvel Legendary. This is a game that has been out for a number of years and is a cooperative deck-building game. I like playing cooperative games with the wife, and I really enjoy deck-building games, so this was kind of an obvious choice for me. And once I picked it up, I think I've picked up like five or six expansions. There are a ton of expansions, and they bring in a lot of different characters, a lot of different villains. It's a a really fun game. And if you like deck building games, I would definitely encourage you to check it out. The other one, which is a new game that I picked up uh, just a couple of days ago, is the Marvel Villainous game. This is kind of a build-off of the Disney villainess, of which again, my wife and I are both uh, fans of. She being a a much bigger Disney fan than I am, you know, we kind of jumped on that bandwagon relatively early, and we've got a couple of the expansions, and it's a really fun game. It's not strictly competitive in terms of you're not directly competing against the other player. Uh, It's certainly not cooperative, just to be clear there. But really, each villain is trying to complete their own objective objectives, you're trying to do it before the other villain completes their objective, and you do have certain elements that you can use to kind of mess with your opponents. Those Mechanics being called Fates. So they took this mechanic and they have translated it over to Marvel villains. So the base game has five villains that you can play as. Killmonger, Ultron, Hela, Taskmaster, and Thanos. Now, Taskmaster is interesting. Again, playing this with my wife, she had no idea who Taskmaster was and was kind of curious why he was included. And then I remembered that this game was scheduled to come out after the original release date of Black Widow so that a much wider audience would have been introduced to the character of Taskmaster. So, that's kind of the I think the the, the thought process behind that. But really this game takes a lot of what is great about the original Villainous and gives it some slight tweaks that I think work very well in the uh, Marvel Universe. For example, in the Disney Villainous, each of the villains has their own fate deck that is thematically appropriate to that villain in their film. In Marvel Villainous, each villain has their own fate deck, but it is shuffled together with a common fate deck, and anytime A player fates another player, they draw from that common deck. And I think that is really playing into the idea of the Marvel shared universe and the general comic book concept of crossovers. I think it's a very good choice in the change of their mechanic. I generally like the villains they have picked. Uh, When we played, I played as Ultron because I like Ultron. And my wife played as Killmonger because she's familiar with Killmonger. And Thanos has some extra rules. Uh, that are involved with him that are a little more complicated that she didn't want to try and mess with on our first go-around. She wasn't familiar with Taskmaster, and I don't know why she didn't choose Hella. I kind of want to play Hella next time, honestly. So with that, we did play. I won. It was a, a close game. Had I not won, my wife would have won on the next turn. So, close game. A lot of fun. Honestly, I think my only complaint so far, not having played all of the villains uh, and not gotten super familiar with the game, is that it it feels a little bit cheaper in some aspects than the original game. Probably the biggest one is the original Villainous and the subsequent expansions had really nice resin character markers. They they had a really great weight to them. They looked really cool. They felt nice. And... While these character markers in Marvel Villainous have a lot of that same really cool design aspect to them, they're made out of a much cheaper molded plastic, which is disappointing. It's a small complaint, but it's still there. Again, I will say we've only played one game of Marvel Villainous. We have played many games of the original Villainous with expansions mixed in i'm hopeful that they're going to come out with some good expansions for this because as much as i i think those five villains they've chosen are pretty good ones i can see where it might get kind of boring with just the five so hopefully though there are some expansions in the works but if you're a fan of board games and you are a fan of marvel comics uh, especially Marvel villains by all means i would highly recommend checking this game out it runs between 35 and 45 bucks i think that's it's worthwhile uh, especially for the overall quality of game materials you get so definitely definitely recommend checking it out remember you can find us at avengersassembly.com you can follow us on facebook instagram and twitter and you can find this podcast on itunes soundcloud and youtube Next episode, we are starting the Crease Scroll War with Avengers number eighty-nine, the only good alien. All right, hey, all right, good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. You ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.